Thomas Green here with Ethical Marketing Service. On the podcast today, we have Dr. Alka Patel. Dr. Patel, welcome. Thank you. Really nice to be here, Thomas. It's my pleasure. Would you like to take a moment and tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, how would I describe myself? Job titles seem to come first, don't they? So um, I'm a GP. I'm a lifestyle medicine doctor, a coach, speaker, author, podcaster. What other titles have I got? Mum, wife, daughter, uh, all of those. Um, So what do I do professionally? Well, what I like to really talk about is embedding health as a skill and an asset. Uh, So that's really the focus of my uh, professional world, really. Is there any one of those things that you listed that you enjoy the most? Oh, it's all a blend, all of it, um, absolutely. Um, and I think variety is the spice of life. So it's really lovely to have multiple bows to my strings, as they say, the strings to my bow. <laughs> well, it's something that I mentioned to you previously. But um, the I, I read that you have experienced some burnout um, and that you've changed some things based on that. But you seem like a very busy businesswoman. How do you apply the lifestyle first approach to your own work? Good question. We've got to be practicing what we preach, haven't we? Um, So the word busy, I think, uh, is a really important one because busy is not the same as being productive, is it? And I think, you know, when we're talking about business, it's productivity. That's what we all really, really want. We want to use our energy and our time to its best potential. And that, for me, is absolutely intricately connected to lifestyle. Um, So how do I put this lifestyle approach in my business? Well, the first thing is to prime it as my most valuable business asset. And I do this because actually what I've been able to create and formulate is this beautiful lifestyle plan, which is uh, uh, what I base my uh, teaching on, my coaching on, my consulting on, um, all of it. Um, And it's very, very simple. And it's a very, very uh, simple way to hook life onto. Um, It's called the Lifestyle First Method. Uh, It's L-I-F-E-S-T-Y-L-E. And all those letters stand for very clear dimensions of health and happiness and success and self-care. So I'll quickly tell you what those are. I'm sure we'll be talking about them later. But uh, L is life's purpose. I is identity. F is food. E for exercise. S for sleep. T for time out. Y for your connections. L for learning habits. E for emotions. And first of all comes motivation and mindset. Um, So this is how I sort of build lifestyle into my own work and my own productivity as such. So did you come up with that particular approach for yourself and now you teach it to others or is it the other way around? Uh, no, absolutely. I think our stories and our own life journeys sort of take us where uh, where they take us, don't they? And certainly for me, you know, you mentioned um, burnout um, and I think, you know, having experienced uh, the passion for my work actually becoming the thing that, then started to to burn me as such. Um, that's what led me to sort of really try and explore what uh, what are other ways of approaching life. You know, when you've become so engaged in the things that you enjoy doing, actually uh, that driver 
can be the very thing that turns sort of uh, the stress and that motivation that we all need to reactivate life. And we've all seen that Yerkes Dodson curve, haven't we, where we can edge over from stress into uh, into burnout and sometimes just not notice those telltale signs. It's definitely my you know own experiences of life. Um, like I said, I've been a GP for a long time. I was. Uh, been in a partnership, had leadership roles, you know, got all got all the titles. But you know what? One day um, I recognised those signs of burnout, and I just left my practice. And actually, what it is, I went off to to India uh, so I could really reground and burst that bubble. And I did some um, voluntary work out there and sort of end of life care, palliative care. I saw communities coming together. I saw people looking after themselves, self care, uh, community care, and I think that's really what I was able to bring back with me and really re-establish lifestyle as you know a key component of health and happiness and just living uh, life in the way that you want to. Well, um, going to a different country really does take getting away from it all to a very literal, a very literal uh, way of thinking, doesn't it? Yeah. But I would imagine that that would be a great break, though, to get away from it like that. You know what? There's something, isn't there, Thomas? I don't know if you've ever done it yourself, but there is something about solitude, and I think we just sometimes need that all for ourselves. You know, we're very connected people, aren't we? As, as sort of humans, it's what we do. We connect, but actually, you know, some space for that introspection, getting to know yourself, does need some alone time. It's not sort of loneliness, but it's solitude. It's about needing to be with yourself sometimes. Um, and yeah, sometimes it takes that sort of big leap, doesn't it, to uh, to do that. I remember when I did go off on my solo journey, I actually just sort of texted my husband, who was uh, away at the time with some friends, and I said, just booking some time away for myself. And he texted back saying, do what you need to do. So, you know, that was all the permission that uh, that I needed. And then I was uh, committed to, I'd always had a pull to do voluntary work. I'd never sort of really plunged into it because again, you know, life's busy and we get on with, with our day to day. And I was busy being a GP and a mum and, and all those things that come with it. Um, but it was a real pull to do that for a long time and taking that leap and that step into the unknown. Uh, is probably the most grounding thing I've ever done, actually. Mm. Very meaningful as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any meditation when you're out there? Uh, yeah, interestingly, because I, as I said, I was working sort of at end of life care, and uh, you know, it's really emotive and emotional space to be in. And what I didn't want to do is bring that home with me. I didn't want to bring some of those that real deep emotion. You know, my children were. You know, not little, but there were still uh, still children who needed me, and so I actually went off to a retreat before I came home um, to an Ayurvedic retreat. It was out in Kerala, and so I did. Yeah, I did uh, did some yoga, did some meditation, learned some breath work, um, uh, and again, these are all principles that I bring into my you know daily practice with patients, clients um, all the time. Actually, and the science behind all of this stuff is is absolutely fascinating. You know, the art that's been around in cultures for centuries and centuries we're suddenly now hearing about it in the west because we're attaching science to which of course i love and is you know really fascinating and and as doctors we love evidence we love to have you know research behind everything that we that we say which is so important as well so there's an increasing evidence base around so many lifestyle um methods now um but more than that for me it's this people's story it's the narratives of of what people have done in their lives that has made a difference uh, to them that I find, you know, really, really interesting and the sort of fuel to encourage others to do the same. Well, that's actually one of the things that I wanted to compliment you on was your, because I checked out the YouTube channel 
and your approach to, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm. uh, to each um, topic that you approach is like having a certain amount of evidence that goes along with that conclusion, if you like. And I mm. thought, wouldn't that be a great way for most people to approach um, online interaction? You know, I think it's really important to just have that element of credibility around what we're all saying. And, you know, these are important spaces that we that we work in health is you know so important lifestyle so important business is so important we've got to get the messages uh, right and, and make sure we attach credibility to what we're saying mm. and if um if someone puts their evidence out at least you can then look at that evidence and see whether the conclusion merits what that for example that study has suggested so yeah, yeah. um one of the things i mean I know that it, it covers some of your YouTube videos anyway, but the one I wanted to start with, which I thought was particularly poignant, was how does being sedentary uh, or sedentary affect my health? And I just thought that has to be relevant to, for so many people right now. So would you mind talking about like, that for a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I say it in a different way. I say sedentary. <laughs> 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 we all know what we're what we're talking about. Well, interesting. Third time lucky, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, interesting. I'm standing up um, right now um, at my stand up desk, working from home, and uh, I think you've hit a really important point: is uh, is sitting down, being sedentary. Um, is actually so easy, isn't it, when we're, particularly when we're working, and actually on average, we spend nine to ten hours a day sitting i mean that's huge you know which if you think about it if we're sleeping for seven of eight hours we're only upright for about four five or six and actually when you look at evolution we are homo erectus before we became homo sapiens we're designed to be standing we've evolved to be standing and and sadly that uh, what we're discovering is that there are some very significant health risks associated with sitting for prolonged periods um, and those are things like cancers um, so US data has quoted something like um, in excess of 173,000 cases of cancer every year that they attribute to sitting being one of the responsible factors. Um, and that's pretty high. And what sitting does is we think it relates to it causes sort of increased inflammation in our bodies. Um, and there's a marker of inflammation called C-reactive protein, which is found to be higher in people who sit for prolonged periods of time. Uh, so cancer, um, heart disease, diabetes, this is, these are two you know, very common causes of illness and unfortunately death as well. And there was this very interesting study which was done um, in the 1950s looking at London bus drivers back in the days when we had drivers and we had conductors. And of course, the conductors were on their feet walking around the buses all day and the drivers were sat down. And who do you think had more heart attacks? It was the uh, it was the drivers that uh, uh, they had more heart attacks. Um, what else? Um, I'm sure sort of people who are listening may uh, may resonate with this. But sitting and back pain. You know, we're in one particular position. We're not moving our necks very much. Our posture is quite poor. We're in front of screens. Uh, these are not always things that we're very good at self correcting. So again, we know that sitting does result in stiff joints from limited movement. Um, and the other thing I think the audience uh, might be interested to hear about is productivity, because again, you know, we all want to be productive and not necessarily busy, but actually standing up makes us more productive. Another study looked at uh, call center agents and compared those who are sitting compared to those who are standing. And of course, the ones at their stand up desk were 
much more productive and efficient in, in their work. So uh, there's quite a lot of information available related to the sort of uh, health effects um, and lifestyle effects of, of being sedentary, really. Mm. I mean, to come back to that last point, it's not health related necessarily, but um, there's been some, I wouldn't say studies, but anecdotal examples of people where they've said, do you, could you tell whether this person was sitting or standing when they were on the phone uh, on the other end? And it's, it's very obvious to know whether or not someone's sitting or standing based on, you know, their engagement and their tonality and that sort of thing. So I can totally see how it would help. That's so interesting because what my personal experience of standing is around agility. I just feel so much more agile and free. And I wonder then whether that's what you're describing. It comes across in your voice modulation uh, and your pitch uh, just that a bit more kind of freedom of expression so that's pretty fascinating actually yeah i feel like i should get up and walk around but i can't because i'm like sitting in one place i can't move now okay. um, if someone is let's say at their computer for like you say nine or ten hours um, what would you suggest as a starting point to correct that particular so um, I think it's great to create habits. What you don't want to do is have to have sort of real power and self-control about all the things that you do. So start with something that's really simple. Um, the um, We haven't got specific guidance on how long we should be standing every hour or how long we should be sitting. But really, you know, if you start to break up every hour with even 30 seconds of standing, I mean, that's easily achievable. So the most important thing is do something that's easy. It's pretty easy to set a time on your clock or know when it goes to three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, and you literally just stand up for those 30 seconds. Ideally, you want to be doing it more, you know, and the more you do it, the more you'll be able to sort of layer it um, and stand uh, some better uh, for longer. Um, for me, what I do is I tend to uh, start my day standing. So I always stand for the first two hours of whatever I'm doing. I'm usually consulting um, with patients at that time. So I spend the first two hours standing and then I might spend the next two hours sitting and the next two hours standing. So I really am sort of modulating and, and breaking it down. So I don't, there's no more hard and fast rules, but actually the, the more fun thing to do is just always ask yourself when you're about to take on the task, do an activity, can I do this standing up instead? And you will, you know, those Zoom meetings, that phone call, that even writing that report, most things we can do standing up, we don't have to be sitting. So just ask yourself that very simple question, could I be doing this standing up instead of sitting down? That's a good point. The next one is, and how it relates to sort of business owners, is um, when you, you basically inundated with various challenges over and over again, and you kind of have to take on that role as an optimist. So, and the, the one that popped out of me was, why are optimists healthier? Mm, yeah, uh, good question. So I think when we think of optimists or optimism, we always think, oh, you know, these are shiny, bright people who are always positive um, in life. But optimism isn't really about that. It isn't about always having to stay positive and ignoring all the sort of difficulties and challenges that you mentioned, because that's the reality of, of you know, life, business life, home life, uh, all sorts of aspects of our life. But it's actually acknowledging the challenges and allowing space for the difficulties, but finding that good 
in any situation. So really, you know, when you're taking on a task and it's becoming challenging, what optimists do is that they just sort of handle it better. Um, and what we know about people who are more optimistic is that they, in terms of their health particularly, they want to know more about their health. So they've, they've got this sense of more sort of feeling in control, wanting more knowledge. Then what you do with the knowledge is really important because what most optimists do is they take that knowledge and they translate it into healthy behaviours. And then, as you said, you know, life's full of challenges, not meant to be a straight road. We're meant to have undulations and ups and downs. And so what optimists are much better able to do is handle setbacks. And, you know, setbacks are going to happen. But as an optimist, you're more likely to confront the problems. I certainly do believe that if you've got a choice of being optimistic or pessimistic, well, you know, what's going to give you a bit more happiness and health? Optimism really is the best choice. <laughs> yeah, even... even um the most negative things optimists do better than uh, pessimists that's a, a quote that i heard but uh, and the next one's very much about I'd, I'd love to know if you've read it it reminded me of something a book called the compound effect have you read it i haven't no okay well um it the premise is that it's um small changes uh make a compounding effect over time and the, the question, which one of your YouTube videos is on, is do small habits have big impact? And it's basically <laughs> the same question answered in a, well, asked in a different way. So what's your uh, conclusion to that particular question? Yeah, so no, I will take a look at that book, The Compound Effect, but uh, I think I use different language, the aggregation of marginal gains. Have you come across that? No. I think it's very much kind of a similar formula. I mean, you know, the maths tells us, doesn't it, that those 1% improvements are going to have an aggregate uh, effect, uh, that compound effect. Um, you've probably heard the story of the British Olympic cycling team, have you? Uh, I actually haven't. Ah, okay. Well, you know, British Olympic cycling team, they had no medals at all for over a hundred years. They, you know, weren't a team that anyone really, really knew about until along came. Dave Brailsford and Dave Brailsford was charged with enhancing the team. And what did he do? He made small adjustments. He changed the fabric of the seats. He changed the width of the wheels. He changed the massage gel used by the physios, the temperature of their, of their blankets. These were the 1% improvements that he made and they had a cumulative effect. So five years later, was the British cycling team who were dominating the track events in the 2008 Beijing uh, Olympics. They won over 60% of the gold medals. Four years later, they set seven world records. So that is all about the aggregation of marginal gains. It's the small changes that have the big impact. And I think if you look at us in our business worlds, I think what happens often is that we think about our business goals and we make it really hard because we focus on the end goals. I mean, here, you know, the end goal was winning those gold medals. Great to have that end goal and start with the end in mind. But you've got to get down to all those micro components that are going to take you where you want to go. You know, if you wanted to run the marathon, you aren't just going to get up and run the marathon. You're going to first get yourself a nice pair of shiny new trainers and wear them in a bit and step into the sunshine. And when those things become easy and habits and you can do them without having self-control and the need for willpower, that's how the small changes start to have big impact. There's never going to be one thing and one moment that led to success in any story that you hear. 
there's layers and layers that come before it. Mm. Have you got some examples of how you've um, added small changes that have made a big impact to your life? Uh, from a lifestyle angle, yeah, absolutely. You know, take the sort of you know exercising uh, side of things. I think routines are really important. I uh, I wake up pretty early. I'm a four thirty a.m. riser, um, and you know, time is a trigger for me to to set off my routine. And I would always do go downstairs, have my glass of hot water, go to the gym, you know, downstairs, start my kind of stretch routine. And that's my start to the day. Um, and I know that it, you know, it's a habit that I've built over time. And if it was taken away, if I took it away, it would start to feel odd. It's a bit like brushing your teeth. You know, if, if one day you don't brush your teeth, there's something strange. And that's the idea of, uh, of building habits. Now, these didn't, you know, me kind of having that morning routine didn't just come just like that. I actually started with, you know, 4.30 in the morning. I really only wanted to do a kind of five-minute stretch. So that's what I did. And actually, I started really enjoying it. So my five minutes has become... 10 minutes which has become 15 minutes which is actually now this morning was 45 minutes and so I, but if I started at 45 minutes every day I would have given up because I didn't want to spend that time first thing in the morning so again this is about those you know, small layers that lead you to actually what you want to do. I know that one of the topics that you spoke about was um, getting enough sleep how much sleep do you get up if or do you get if you are up at like 4 30 every day? So I do get my sort of seven to eight hours because I just go to bed early. You know, there's that um, in terms of the kind of science of sleep, there's that adenosine effect, which is the sort of chemical that builds up in our brain for that pressure of sleep. And I can tell you by 8.30, I am feeling the pressure of sleep. So, <laughs> you know, I'm usually winding down in the evening um, by then and heading in, into bed. Um, and I fall asleep very quickly, which is uh, which is great because that you know pressure's been building up uh, through the day. So uh, and that's my non-negotiable. You know, it's really important to that. Of course, I'll have that. Well, we can have Saturday nights out and all the rest of it again. You know, it's all open to sort of flux. But in general, kind of setting that wake up time and that sleep time is really useful for for that sleep routine. So you can get a lot done in those early hours, can't you? you oh, basically, yeah. get no interruption whatsoever. While the rest of the world is sleeping, yeah. Exactly. So um, one of the things being a digital business and how so many people are interested in their digital gadgets, mm. how is your health affected by your digital connections? Yeah, I think that we, you know, we hear a lot about digital connections at the moment, don't we? I mean, look, it's, it's here. Digital tech is here. It's a fundamental part of our everyday life and actually it's been a real savior of late hasn't it it's enabled us to have these connections over these uh these difficult times um but again you know the statistics what the data is what did i read the other day i think in the uk we spend an average of about eight to nine hours a day on our screens and that's you know for some people that's more than actually they're sleeping um and on average we're checking our phones every 12 minutes and nearly 50% of us are looking at our phones within five minutes of waking time. So, you know, these stats tell us that the digital tech is here and we're spending a lot of time with it. But, you know, what's the problem? What's the effect of that? Um, well, there's some stuff that's uh, that's been coming up in relation to health and the use of digital devices. So some new terminology. I don't know if you've come across the term nomophobia before. Um, I haven't, but um, I'm, I'm aware of the... Uh, studies around social media are you referring to social media or just um, gadgets in general uh both actually well gadgets first of all so um so nomophobia is a phobia of being without your phone um, <laughs> right. it's a, and it's a panic disorder so you know you really can have a sense of panic 
um, addiction is another word we're starting to to associate with with digital tech and certain gaming addiction. It's now a recognised uh, condition as such. Um, so those are sort of two new terms as such uh, that come up from use of digital tech. Um, and that includes, you know, phones, screens, um, being on social media, dry eyes. If we're staring at our screens for long periods of time, uh, we know that eyes do get very dry. Um, and again, there's something called the 20-20-20 rule, which is really useful to use. So every 20 minutes, look away 20 meters into the distance for 20 seconds. We've got to get back into varying um, our gaze as well. Um, and neck pain as well. There's something called text neck, quite colloquially, which is very much about the sort of, you know, looking down on our phones and, and texting all day long. Um, but I think the biggest stuff is around the impact on um, mental health um, and social media. Um, now, interestingly, it's, uh, you know, if there's any parents listening and you're like anything like me, we're always sort of you know, encouraging our children not to stay on their social media devices uh, too long and be on you know, Facebook late into the night. But actually what I found some of the research has shown is it's not so much the quantity of time that you're spending on social media that has that impact on mental health. It's actually the quality of the connections. Um, and that's the important thing. It's not get off your phone and get off your gadgets. It's thinking about how do you choose to interact with the digital world? How intentional are you in, in using it? Um, and again, you know, back, back in the business world, you know, it's really easy to get distracted by our devices as well, isn't it? You know, quick touch of the phone and a quick swipe. And before you know it, that task you were supposed to do and you're off on sort of another email track. And, you know, this happens to all of us, happens to me um, all the time. Um, and one trick is actually out of sight, out of mind. I know it's the sort of thing our parents used to say uh, to us all the time, but actually, you know, putting your phone away, just by having it in your visual line means that you are, it's the dopamine distraction. That's what phones are designed to do. They're supposed to create that reward in you. What's next? What's coming next? Who's texted me? Who's tagged me? You know, we do all that, put it out of sight, and actually you can focus much better on the task ahead and then get it back out when you need to. That's being intentional with the use of your digital tech rather than it, it controlling you, you know, you become, uh, it becomes your tool rather than you becoming its tool, really. Mm. Yeah, I, I laughed initially, but it's actually pretty unfortunate if people really are addicted to having their phone around or fear of, what What did you say the condition was? Nomophobia. Nomophobia. Yeah. It's a new one for me. That's a real extreme, but, you know, it does exist. Again, you know, anxiety, panic, uh these are all uh very difficult conditions to to have in your life actually you know that really overriding sense of, of overwhelm and panic and when that's related to being separated from something in this case separated from your phone uh it does tell you really that you know that relationship between you and tech that's supposed to support you in what you do actually becomes the thing that, that starts to harm you as well i'm kind of the opposite in the sense that often i just can't find my phone <laughs> Great. <laughs> so we're going um, all, almost opposite ex extremes in this in this particular question. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this one's in related to you did um, a little video on success mindset. How would you? What's your approach to creating a success mindset? So. Success means different things to different people, doesn't it? And I think, you know, we're all allowed to have our own definition of success is probably the first thing to say. But I think success is very, very connected to intentionality. So my word for the year, and I know lots of people have created words for the year rather than sort of resolutions this year. So my word is 
intentional because if you're intentional in your actions, then you're always going to create success, aren't you? Because you've made active choices. Whatever the outcome of that choice is, you've been intentional with it and therefore you're going to create your success. Um, and uh, one of the key ways uh, that I found really useful to create that success mindset, again, I talked about sort of mornings, but uh, what I do first thing every day on waking up before I even let my feet touch the ground is um, think about setting my intentions for success for the day. Um, and, you know, I love my acronyms. I've already talked to you about Lifestyle First and my acronym for doing that. And this takes, you know, just a matter of minutes first thing in the morning is six questions that are based on the word dream because obviously we're, we're waking up from sleep and we want to follow our dreams to success. So uh, six questions that I would say ask yourself every morning as you step into each day is D is for what difference do I want to make to someone today? R is how ready am I for the day ahead? E is what energy do I want to radiate out today? The A is what assets and skills do I want to sharpen up today? M is how motivated do I feel today? And the S is what self-care needs do I need to focus on today? Again, it's really easy to remember it's dreams. It takes just a few minutes for you to organise your thoughts uh, before you get out. And that is literally how you turn your dreams into your success. So what happens, what um, is your answer to the question if, let's say, uh, M, let's say you don't feel motivated today, what do you do? Yeah, so I think you know, you've got to allow space for that and recognise that. It's not about you've got to be on peak performance every day and every day is got to be, you know, actually uh, the ebbs and flows of life, we all need to be experiencing them. So not feeling motivated today doesn't mean that you're not going to achieve the success that you wanted. It's just actually thinking about, all the other realms in life where you are doing what you want to do, you know, your motivation today might lead you away from your desktop and lead you into the kitchen to, to bake a cake with your daughter. So it's, you know, it's really thinking about where else is this taking you um, and tuning in and again, being intentional with your actions. If you're not motivated, you're less likely to do a good job and do what it is that you want to do. So you step away from it. Uh, that doesn't mean that erodes your success as such. And do you have any mentors on mindset? Any mentors? Yeah. For that? Uh, I actually don't, actually. That's a good point. I've just launched a, a podcast episode this week on uh, on mentorship where we talk about actually you know, having a mentor in your life, a coach in your life. We should all have one. Um, but I actually don't have a mentor on mindset. Recommendation for you then? Well, then. Les Brown. Okay. Not Ever heard, heard of him? Not heard the name, no. Okay. Especially if you're um, struggling with the M, put on some Les Brown. Yeah. All right. I'll, I will definitely look him up. So I like this one. Um, how do you ensure alignment between your business goals and your health goals? And the reason I liked it was because of a, it's something I heard and I forget the name of the person, unfortunately. But the example given was, let's say you have absolutely everything that you want in your life. Yeah. Let's say you have a great house, like you're on holiday, absolutely everything is great for you, except you've just got this sort of really sore throat. And every time you swallow, you kind of get that horrible feeling in your throat. And all you can think about, even though everything else is perfect for you, is when is this sore throat going to go away? And even though it's such a small example, like having a sore throat, um, it's the impact 
of how health just regulates absolutely everything else that we do. And that's the reason why I wanted to ask you that question. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's a really lovely story to, to relate that at a really simple level that we can all relate to. Um, and, you know, again, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, but where your attention goes, your energy goes. So where you're paying attention to that feeling in your throat, that's where all your energy is going to go. That's where your focus is going to go and get distracted from everything else that you want to uh, want to do. But, you know, what's the world telling us right now? It is telling us that health is our most important asset that's what it's that's what it's telling us um so i think for me again if we kind of break this down to building blocks um we all know what lies at the nucleus of our health don't we it is our it's our dna it's that that set of instructions for our body it's that building block um, of life but um more than that i like to think of your dna as the way you show up in the world. So another acronym for you, because, you know, I love, love hooks, but actually what's really, really important in aligning those health goals and those business goals is to de-discover, N-notice and A-activate. So discover, notice and activate who you are, what you want and where you are going, because that is how you start to entwine health and business part of health is discovering what's important to you taking those actions related to whether they're related to food or exercise or sleep or relaxation because that is the fuel of health and once you discover what's important to you you'll start to notice well how am i showing up today you know am i that irritable leader in the boardroom and that is not the person that I want to be but actually I can connect that to the fact that I haven't slept well for three nights so you know where to take your action where you're talking about productivity and just not being able to you know finalize those details of what you need to do well actually you know it's probably because you're pushing too hard you're you're stressed you're overworked you're overwhelmed your brain circuits are in task mode instead of sort of default mode and so that's the alignment between health and business goals isn't it it's again giving yourself some space to discover and notice what is actually going on for you and then taking the actions that you know you need to um so much of health is very very simple and we make it much more complex than it needs to be there is you know real simplicity to doing the things and tuning into your signals and if we just pause to do that um we will then reach our business goals in a much better uh, frame of mind and a much better state of health as well just notice the little be kind over your shoulder i think that's kind of cool yeah (laughs) (laughs) completely uh completely agree um easy to forget though sometimes isn't it you know particularly when you're in pursuit of, uh, of these goals is you know and the be kind is not not just about being kind to others which is hugely important but where's that kindness to yourself as well to to take your pause to you know share your life with people around you to nourish yourself with, with the right food to step into the sunlight i mean it's so easy to stay indoors all day amongst the kind of you know home lights and the office lights but there's a huge difference between outdoor light even on a gray day like today and indoor lights and that again connects to your sleep rhythms as well and all your other kind of circadian rhythms that are going on in your body so you know i think that's really important is that kindness to yourself which is why it's part of that my dreams acronym is that bit about self-care is what do you need to do for yourself today as well yeah part of your lifestyle first approach be kind to yourself yeah yeah absolutely so i went on the site 
and it says you've heard of an IQ test and an EQ test. What's an LQ test? <laughs> One of my uh, inventions, but actually, again, back to sort of, you know, research and evidence. So, yes, look, we all have heard about IQ. It's your intelligent quotient. It tells you where you rank your intelligence in your life. Where does that rank for you? Uh, we've heard of EQ, again, another term that's sort of come up over the last decade, your emotional quotient. Where does emotional intelligence rank for you? in your life. Well, now uh, I decided that we need to make way for your LQ, your lifestyle quotient. Where does your lifestyle rank in your life? Because it needs to rank up there with everything else because it's so pivotal to, to how we live and your uh, and the outcomes of, of your life as well. So what does the LQ do? Well, it measures your health and happiness based on those 10 key dimensions of health, which I've already highlighted uh, through the Lifestyle First Method, and gives you some idea of where to pay attention. So, for example, uh, so it's a scoring system and you get a score. And uh, if your life purpose score is low, for example, then you know this is an area to focus on because what does the research tell us? It tells us that people who've got purpose in their life, meaning in their life and meaning in their work, they actually live longer. It life's purpose is a tool for survival. And so you're going to want to prioritize that, aren't you? Um, if your food score is low, you know that you need to focus on your fuel and your nourishment. So what the LQ score does is it provides you a really strong basis for knowing where to focus next. And where can people take an LQ test? Uh, oh, straight on my website, uh, .com. It's uh, It's all there for you. And I know that um, we've sort of covered the, the health aspect between the business and, and your health goals, but you did say on the site that um, if you burn out, then your business burns out too. Mind just clarifying what you mean by that? Yeah, I think it comes back to what we've really talked about in the in this whole conversation really is that you know the most important elements in your business are going to be the people in it and if it's your business then you're very very pivotal aren't you um i think it's worth explaining what burnout is um it's a term we bounce around so much now but it's really a constellation of detrimental psychological and physiological and physical effects that are caused by your work and caused by your relationship with your work. Um, and in your business, you don't want to have a detrimental relationship with your business because for your business to thrive, it's going to need your very energized presence. So um, I think that's really the connection between your burnout and your business burning because burnout's all about disengagement. And uh, again, in terms of definition, it includes emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and lack of accomplishment. So if you exhibit those three elements and you burn out, you're taking your business with you. And what would you recommend uh, regarding, because if you employed someone, for example, people have lots of employees sometimes if they run a business, what would you recommend for to ensure that, or at least encourage people to, um, if they have employees, what would you recommend implementing for them? I think space for conversation is one of the most important things that needs to exist in a business where there are employees and lots of people or even you know, small businesses where there are people involved that's beyond that sort of solopreneur um, setup. Because the most important thing in terms of burnout is to 
recognize it first of all uh to have a place to be able a space and a method to be able to recover from it um and to then start to have be able to have conversations to reframe that relationship with uh, with work uh, i've got a burnout formula called the three r's plus one and the plus one is reach out and i think this is so important in businesses is the starting place is having a place where people can share their vulnerability um and often that comes from the leaders you know um if the leadership team if the management team if the if you know if that level are exhibiting some of their vulnerability sharing some of what's going on with them it enables employees and other people to do the same and i think it's you know really important to have a space um space to do that because if we did share our vulnerabilities a bit more we'd all have the courage to support each other a lot more as well is that sort of like a team meeting type scenario would you say or something a little bit different yeah again you know if you just start with layers just the simple how are you uh, it's a great starting point and you'd be surprised how many people in teams just go through the day past each other you know but don't even ask that then that sort of is there space for a virtual hug every day you know can you have a virtual five minute check-in uh, every day then actually you know layer again layer it up uh, create a space for someone like me to come in and you know provide that sort of facility to drop in space because sometimes it is hard to have those conversations with your line manager or or the people you know who are leading uh, leading the organization and you know creating that safe space is is important and having a facilitator to do that uh, can help as well as that sort of drop in coffee room you know very easy flowing sort of chat space and then provide the education around it. I think that's really important as well to you know, be able to provide information, resource, places to go, who to talk to uh, for people who really are struggling. So again, I think it's a multi-layered approach. You know, you wouldn't just say, right, let's deal with, with burnout and uh, connection in the organization. Yeah, we'll get Alcorn and she can do a couple of talks. Yeah, great. That's back to that end goal, important end goal. But before that, you've got to create the connectivity and, you know, the how are you's and the virtual hugs and the space of conversation and then build into um, into a whole well-being piece. So it's not just a, a tick box exercise. I think well-being is so important now, isn't it, in corporate organisations and businesses. Again, a real you know, centrefold for where businesses are revolving um, around. So really important to change culture around that. That would be something that you would do. Um you know, go and talk to employees within businesses for well-being, from the well-being yeah. perspective. Yeah, I do that. I've got a sort of really lovely sort of membership uh, program as well. It's very bespoke, but again, it starts with you know having that lifestyle assessment with me. Again, if we can talk at individual level about what individuals' lifestyles are like, again, it's really important to give them space to be able to change that. And then I can go, go in and do those monthly drop-ins that I've mentioned. I provide the sort of webinars and the education um, really tailored to what organisations need because everybody's sizes are different and needs are, needs are different. Um, so you really need to um, assess what needs to happen in the organisation first and the action plan uh, certainly yeah, as you go in and, and provide a lot of uh, talks and support for the companies. Okay. Have you got any closing thoughts or um, based on what we've talked about today? Oh, what would I like for your audience? I would love everybody to just remember the word lifestyle and really attach some value and meaning to it. I would love everybody who's listening to place health at the forefront of everything that they do and recognize it as your most valuable 
business asset. It's not there on the bottom of the to-do list. It's centerfold. And if the audience could go away and just remember those two things and take some action, that would be, uh, for me, that would have been, you know, a lovely result from the 20, 30 minutes we spent together today. Good. And I always ask at the end of a podcast, um, what are your business goals? My business goals are to uh, spread messages of health that matter um, and to get the message out to as many people as possible. But not just about messaging. My, my goal is to encourage people to take action. You know, you'll see on my podcast, you've got to turn uh, uh, information into action. You've got to go from knowing to doing. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's where I'd sort of like to go uh, with my business is being able to see that transformation in action for people. Okay, that's a good goal. And where is the best place for people to find you? Uh, oh, gosh, I'm popping up everywhere. I think I'm in the Daily Mail today, actually, as uh, providing some uh, uh, expert verdicts on stress-busting gadgets. So you can probably find me on there today. But uh, aside from that, uh, my website is an easy place to get to, www.drankabatel.com. I'm on all the social media uh, platforms as well, at Dr. Patel UK. I've just launched, I have to say, uh, a lovely course that brings together this uh, Lifestyle First Method and the Blueprint, so that, again, you can access from, from my website and join the Lifestyle First Academy as well. Okay, well, thank you very much for being a great guest. Very welcome. I've enjoyed having that conversation, certainly giving me things to think about as well. <laughs> Good. And I will speak to you soon. Thank you, Dennis. Bye-bye.